0: The rest of us in here are continuing our study in Exodus. We're in chapter 13 today, and I want you to know right from the get-go here that as I studied this past week and prior, it became readily apparent to me that this is one of the most important sermons I can give. This affects our worship. What we're going to talk about today affects our homes. It affects our children and their futures. It defines our witness, and it certainly impacts the health and the strength of our own church family, not to mention the greater church. The title of today's message is, My Children, Come See What God Has Done. I'd like us to earnestly study the first part of chapter 13 this morning and ask ourselves, am I doing all I can and all that I should to teach my children who God is? Are they learning what it means to fear the Lord? We're not talking about some type of cowardly, I'm afraid God's gonna hurt me type of fear, no. we, We are talking about a dominating sense of respect, awe and submission, love and honor for the awesome God who made us. The God who made everything and knows everything the God who knows eternity past to eternity future, the God who saved us and guides us and provides and protects us, the the God who keeps us, do they know this person? Are you and I appropriately devoted to passing the torch of faith to our children? We all know that Something is going bad wrong in the American Christian church, not to mention other countries around the world. More kids are growing up and leaving the faith than staying. The church nationwide is shrinking in number. The statistics confirm this. They're undeniable. We don't even need statistics. You can just look around and see it. If ever there was a time for us parents to stop and take a deep, honest look at our role in pointing our children to God, now is the time. And my prayer this morning is twofold. Number one, that every person here, and not just the parents, but every person here would walk away with a greater sense of responsibility and urgency to pass the fear of the Lord on to the next generation. And secondly, that we would all do something about this greater sense of urgency and responsibility. Lord, help us to not only see how critical this is, but Lord, help us to do something about it. Let that doing be infused with grace and with truth and with love. And what is that doing something? In one sentence, we need to do whatever God says to do on this topic, and my goodness does He have instruction on this topic. Parents and adults, and notice that I will frequently say parents and adults, that's because this admonition to fathers and mothers in no way stops with the parents. There is tremendous application here. To the grandparents and the aunts and uncles, and all of the adults in the church, to come together to unite in this awesome responsibility of passing the fear of God on to the children around us. Let's pray again before we dive into the word. Heavenly Father, it's an amazing thought that you would entrust the gospel to us, that you would call us to be ambassadors of you, and Lord, especially that you would give us the great privilege and the high honor of passing our faith, the truth of who God is, on to our own children and the children around us, indeed, the next generation. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would open our eyes to the truths of your word and the calling that you have given us as an older people to pass you on to the younger. Lord, we want to walk away from this place not only challenged, but encouraged that You will accomplish through us what You so will for our children. Lord, help us to represent You well to our children. As we studied in Sunday school, one of the classes, help us, Lord, to walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, especially in our homes and especially before the children in our church family. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Exodus chapter 13, verse 1. Remember, this is where the the people of Israel have just begun to leave Egypt. The ten plagues have concluded in chapter 12, and that's where God also uh, established the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread as annual memorials for the people of Israel. And we now come to chapter 13. Think about where we're at. It is at this very uncertain and rapidly changing time that we find the Lord giving Moses and the Israelites these words. Verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Sanctify to me every firstborn, The first offspring of every womb among the sons of Israel, both of man and beast, it belongs to me. The word sanctify, many of you know that means to set apart, to consecrate, to make holy, to designate something just for God. In the New Testament, we hear the word sanctification often. That is the process of being set apart and used for God. So, why the firstborn? Well, the obvious connection here is, is, is that all of the firstborn were just saved by God in the tenth plague. They were just spared the death that fell upon Egypt's firstborn. All of the firstborn of Egypt died that night, and the firstborn of Israel were spared. And God now says, they belong to me. It's also important historically and and culturally to understand the position of the firstborn, particularly the firstborn sons. They were expected to lead and care for the family once the father passed away. The firstborn received the highest rights in the family the highest responsibilities and privileges. They would be entrusted with extra inheritance, right? To fulfill these higher responsibilities. We also note the principle of the tithe of the first fruits. The first fruits were God's blessing in the first place. And giving the first fruits to God reminded the people that God was their provider. They were to immediately turn their attention to God when they received what they needed in life. This offering of the first fruits was, a, was an act of gratitude. Is their way of saying thank you, Lord? Tangibly saying thank you, Lord. And of course, yielding the firstborn and the first fruits to God was also an act of faith and dependence for future provision. The firstborn child, the firstborn son, it's yours, Lord. That's an act of faith. It's evidence of trust. It's an example to the family. It's an example to the nation. It's an example to the world. And looking ahead prophetically, it's also worth noting that Jesus was the firstborn of Mary. He was the only begotten of the Father. And if we go back a few chapters to Exodus 4, verse 22, it says this, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So this concept of being the firstborn would have had significant context in these early Bible times, much much more so than today in our culture. But again, the immediate context here in chapter 13 was that God had just rescued and preserved the firstborn, and in so so doing, he claimed the firstborn as his own. There's much more to this narrative. Let's look at verse 3. Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you went out from Egypt, from the house of slavery, for by a powerful hand, the Lord brought you out of this place." Moses says to remember three things. Your slavery, God's power, and your deliverance. Your slavery, God's power, and your deliverance. Can we just stop right there and ask, is there any 21st century application for us in these words? God, through Moses, commanded the people to never forget their past slavery, His almighty power and their miraculous deliverance. Of course, as Christians, there are sweeping benefits and effects to remembering our slavery to sin. We didn't just struggle with sin. We were slaves to it. Sin was our master before salvation, whether we like to admit it or not. There are benefits to us remembering the awesome power of God in His Son, Jesus Christ, through the cross and the resurrection. And there are benefits to us remembering the resulting significance of our deliverance from sin's eternal curse on us. Think about that, eternal curse. That is the worst possible that could happen to any person. And yet, that is exactly what all those who believe on Jesus Christ have been delivered from. It wasn't just deliverance from our struggle with sin. It wasn't even just deliverance from this life's slavery to sin. It was deliverance from the eternal curse of sin. And Moses also distinctly says, remember the powerful hand of the Lord. Israel was going to need to remember this powerful hand going forward into Canaan, the promised land, as they fought off the wicked nations one after another. But as we're going to see next week, they were going to desperately need this reminder of God's powerful hand long before they would get to Canaan. They were going to need it before they even got to the Red Sea. Verse 3 continues, and these next several verses again point back to the seven-day feast of unleavened bread that we read about in studying chapter 12. It says, and nothing leavened shall be eaten. On this day in the month of Abib, you are about to go forth. It shall be when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall observe this rite in this month. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten throughout the seven days, and nothing leavened shall be seen among you, nor shall any leaven be seen among you in all your borders." And now we come to verse 8. Here's the heart of our study today. You shall tell your son on that day, saying, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be a sign to you on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth, for with a powerful hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. Therefore, you shall keep this ordinance at its appointed time from year to year. Observe these six points in these verses. The command, the testimony, the purpose, the result, the reason, and the consistency. First, we see the command. It says, you shall tell your son. This wasn't an option or a good suggestion for parents. This was the command to all of Israel. Number two, the testimony. It is because of what the Lord did for me. Parents, let us not just tell our children what God did back in Bible times, but also what God has done for me. Parents, have your children heard your salvation testimony? And I don't ask this from some lofty lofty high position at the pulpit. I asked myself that question last week. I realized, if they have heard it, it's been so long, I doubt they'd remember it. So Ruth and I told them, look at what God has done for me. Parents, if your kids haven't heard what God did for you at the point of salvation, I encourage you to tell them this week. Let this be a great week in our church family when the young generation as a whole Here's the sweeping story of what God did for their parents. Number three, we see the purpose. The purpose for this ordinance. It shall so- serve as a sign and a reminder. God did not institute these traditions just to give the Israelites another holiday, another good reason for a party, something to fill their time. No, it was to repeatedly bring to their consciousness what was most important to their survival. And this reminder, purpose, confirms that that there was a need in the first place. We are all heavily prone by nature to forget the most important things in life. And that always proves to be damaging. It proves to be misguiding and detrimental, as we're going to see again next week when we see the chapter on the Red Sea. Number four we see here the result, and that is that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. This ordinance was instituted that the law of the Lord would be in their mouth. That is that you would speak of it often. You would know it and so you could say it. You spoke it especially to the next generation. This is the passing it on, but sadly the law of God his precepts, his testimonies, the word of the Lord is often not spoken by God's people because they can't remember it well. Oh, that in our Christian homes, hardly a day would go by when the word of the Lord is not read and spoken, especially to our children. Oh, that spiritual truths and testimonies would often be heard on our lips. How often do our children hear us say, kids, look at what God did. Let me tell you what God did. Maybe it's an answer to prayer. Maybe it's a restored health. Maybe it's a financial provision, et cetera, et cetera. Psalm 34, 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Number five, we we find the reason for the ordinance. For with a a powerful hand, the Lord brought you out. It's like Moses is saying, guys, didn't you just see what God just did? Surely that kind of power demands a response It's a motivation. It's a reason to do something. That kind of power is reason enough to remember and fear God. Number six, we see the consistency. From year to year, whatever you do, don't stop remembering. Don't stop speaking. We see here that verses 8 to 10 are a 60-second father's guide to instructing his son. A mother's guide to instructing and teaching her daughter. These three verses capture much of the heart of passing the torch of faith to the next generation. In these few sentences, we find the command, the testimony, the purpose, the result, the reason, and the consistency. We have to appreciate the clarity in Scripture In this next section, we're going to go back to the law of the firstborn. I love how this is all tied together. Look at verse 11. Now, when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanite, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, you shall devote to the Lord the first offspring of every womb and the first offspring of every beast that you own. The males belong to the Lord. But if every offspring of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, but if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. We see that the firstborn male of every animal was to be sacrificed to the Lord. And the firstborn of the donkeys in particular and mankind was to be redeemed from the Lord. Now, as you have, may have heard question in the past if you've studied this text, why donkeys and humans are in the same category? Not going to touch that one. There are reasons, though. You can study and find them out. But we can't just fly past this phrase. And every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Redeem. You know, that word that means to buy back. It is a rescuing purchase. And buy back from whom? Verse 12, you shall devote to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. God claimed the firstborn male children and animals. He said, they belong to me. You are now required to either sacrifice or redeem your firstborn animals, and you are required to redeem your firstborn sons. God is saying, they're mine. You must buy them back from me. What an unusual and stunning ordinance, why would God establish and require such a thing of the people? Why such an odd tradition? He tells us. Verse 14, and it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this? Then you shall say to him, with a powerful hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. It came about when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord the males, the first offspring of every womb, but every firstborn of my sons I redeem. So it shall serve as a sign on your hand and as phylacteries on your forehead. For with a powerful hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. That is what fathers were supposed to tell their children. Can you imagine with me that firstborn son hearing these words from his dad for the first time? And that little boy thinking, Dad, I'm the firstborn, that's me. You mean you had to buy me back from God? Why did God kill all the firstborn in Egypt? Why was Pharaoh so stubborn? What we see here is that this tradition unleashes a flood of thoughts, a flood of questions, a flood of teaching opportunities for the father with his son, the mother with her daughter. Son, let me teach you about the stubbornness of Pharaoh and why your heart must be soft towards God. My daughter, let me tell you about the power of God. You have no idea what your dad and I saw that day. Yes, God knew what He was doing when He established this ordinance for the people of Israel. And God knew what He was doing when He established communion as an ordinance for us and baptism. These ordinances our phenomenal teaching and remembering opportunities, ordinances that impact the way we live, ordinances that pass the fear of the Lord on to the next generation if we take them seriously as God intended. Now, this is as far as we're going to go in this chapter today. It's not very far, especially considering the breakneck speed we've been moving through the rest of this book with. But there is only one stake in the ground I want us to notice here. And I want us to pound it deep into the soil and then pound some more and some more. Parents, adults, God has entrusted to us the testimony of His power and truth. It is our noble and indispensable calling to passionately and diligently pass the truth of who God is onto our children and the entire next generation. Do we recognize the immense responsibility here? And what can we do to improve? Because there's always room for improvement. And if ever there was a cause worth improving, worth pouring ourselves into, Worth sacrificing for, worth dying for, then surely it is the faith of our own children. Paul said in Romans chapter 9, verse 3 For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren. Speaking of the Jews, do we have that kind of burden for our children? for the children of our church family. But as deserving as our children are, let us not stop short of the greater good, the greater purpose, the greater worthiness of this high calling, and that is the very glory of God. God deserves the heart and worship of our children. That's why we proclaim Him to them. Think about it. Our children don't deserve God. None of us do. We are all sinners, and we know what we deserve. God deserves our children's worship. God deserves their trust, their love. He deserves their obedience, just like He deserves ours. As much as we treasure our children, And trust me, every time I look into the eyes of my five-week-old daughter, I treasure her more than the day before. But as much as we treasure our children, they are far superseded by how much we should treasure and pursue and promote the glory of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We cannot afford to be short-sighted in this truth. We should faithfully and diligently teach our children for Him. If we don't teach our children, who will? Somebody else may very well get the high honor and the immeasurable joy of, of pouring the fear of the Lord into the mind and heart of our child. Anybody who's been there knows that there is hardly anything more fulfilling than watch, then watching a child place their faith in Jesus. And then watching that child continue to trust more and more as they grow in their knowledge of who God is and what He has done and what He will do. Hardly any greater joy. And what is one profound way for us to help accomplish this great high calling. You shall tell your son on that day, saying, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Parents, adults, how often do the children around us hear us talking about Egypt and from whence we were delivered Is the testimony and praise of God being proclaimed every single day in our homes? Is that asking too much of the people of God, being proclaimed to our own children? Are we searching for opportunities to tell our children how good and powerful the hand of God is? Are our antennas up for those moments to speak God into their lives? You'll notice in this week's Salt Starter, question number four. If someone asked your children to share some of the amazing works God has done in their parents' life, what would your children say? Take a moment to answer the question in your mind right now. If someone asked your children to share some of the amazing works God has done in their parents' life, what would your children say? What about the works of God during Bible times? How familiar are they with these amazing stories, and are they amazed by them? My fear is that our children might grow up hearing the account of Noah in the ark, and David and Goliath, and Daniel in the lion's den so many times that they lose their amazement. But it's not the repetition. The repetition is good and has an invaluable purpose. The problem or a great part of the problem lies in us parents if we don't grow more and more excited every time we tell those stories. It's interesting, once we dig past the surface of this new tradition, this new ordinance that God gave Israel, what we find is a very personal truth. And that is that the ordinance isn't just about the kids, it's about me. It's about the dads and the moms and the adults in this generation and their faith. This ordinance demands that we be amazed by God and His Word, His power, His righteousness. This ordinance demands that we not forget It demands that we worship Him first, because to pass the fire to the next generation, one must first have it for themselves. We cannot pass on something we do not have. Lord, help my kids to see a big God through me. Remember we touched on a few weeks ago, we would fall far short of the purpose for this whole study and the account of the plagues and God's mighty rescue of Israel from Egypt, if we didn't recognize that our being rescued by God from sin was even and is even greater than Israel's deliverance from Egypt. Again, think about it with me. Israel's deliverance was physical. Ours is spiritual. Spiritual. With enough time and strong enough of a birth rate, it is very possible that Israel could have freed themselves from Egypt. With a little tactical thought and enough babies, it's possible they could eventually free themselves. That was one of Pharaoh's great worries in the first place, right? In a million years, you and I couldn't free ourselves from sin. Israel's deliverance was temporary, at least in terms of their physical bondage and captivity and the oppression of other nations. They had a lot more of that coming over the next hundreds and thousands of years. Their rescue is temporary. Ours is permanent and eternal. Israel's rescue required ten plagues. What did yours require? the life and the blood of God's only Son, Jesus Christ. Do we understand the magnificence of our salvation? When we remember it, we will be empowered by it. It will dominate the way we live and the way we pass on the fear of the Lord to our children in the next generation. Our teens and young adults are making it amply clear that they have little respect for hypocrisy, religiosity. Our children know when Sunday morning worship for mom and dad is motivated primarily out of duty or some sense of obligation rather than passion. They see our level of both commitment and joy when it comes to daily reading the Word of God and praying on our own and with our families. They see our commitment and joy when it comes to corporate worship and ministry and giving and serving, etc. They see. If we are not sincerely excited about God and what He has done in us and in biblical history, then we cannot pass, possibly pass that excitement on to our children. Someone else will have to do it. Or should I say, someone else will get to do it. And speaking of those somebodies, when I sit in Toby's Sunday school class and watch my children in Iwana and VBS, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, my heart swells with thankfulness to God for the men and women in our church family who have adopted my children when it comes to passing on the greatness of God to them, it's like they've adopted my children as their own when it comes to helping turn their eyes to the Word of God so they can be amazed by it. And hopefully one day each child in our church will learn to fear the Lord, and hopefully His law will be in their own mouth, and they will speak it to their sons and daughters. As they tell their own children about the powerful hand of the Lord in their lives. How we need each other in this multi-generational calling. But parents, remember, your kids need you more than anyone else. God has so designed it. Whether your child is 5 or 55, we need to keep doing all we can to pass on the fear of the Lord. To wrap up, I'd like to just open a small floodgate of scriptures on this topic, a good 10 or 15 minutes of just reading the Word of God with you, particularly as it pertains to speaking God to our children. I encourage you to write these references down so that you can meditate on them at home. These scriptures are awesome. Consider 3 John chapter 1, verse 4. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. That is the heart of every godly parent, every godly adult who adopts the children in their church family, who assumes shared responsibility for passing the torch of faith to the young ones around them. No greater joy. That's how John felt about His children in the faith. And listen to the wisdom in Ecclesiastes 12.1, remember, and remember that's the whole purpose for this firstborn ordinance, remember also your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Teach your children while they are young to fear the Lord. That's not to say it's too late when they're old. It's to simply stress the value of teaching them when they are young. Jump into the New Testament. 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. You, however, this is Paul again speaking to his own son in the faith, Timothy. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood... You have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You knew it from the time you were a child. What's interesting is that those are profound verses that come right before the well-known verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. This all Scripture inspired by God verse is tied closely to childhood Here's another one of the most well-known and often referred to passages on our generational responsibility. It is well worth us reading together today. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now this is the commandment. The statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson Might fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. By the way, those are all figures of speech. The intent was never to wear little boxes of Scripture on your head or armbands. I suppose you could, but that was not the intent of the Scripture here. The intent was that these truths be ingrained into our way of being, our way of thinking and everything we do. Verse 10, Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and the houses full of all good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig out, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. Sounds like salvation, doesn't it? all of the inheritance and blessings of heaven, and you did nothing to receive them, nothing to earn them. He says, and when you eat and are satisfied, then watch yourself, that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship Him and swear by His name. You shall not follow other gods or any of the gods of the peoples who surround you, For the Lord your God is in the midst of you, and He is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and He will wipe you off the face of the earth. Answer me, can God do whatever He wants? And whatever He wants is righteous. Whatever He does is righteous. Do I understand that? No. Does anybody in this room know? No. It's a call to submission. It is a call to the fear of God. He will do what he wants with your child and mine. He will do what he wants with you and me, with our homes, our jobs, all the things we claim as our own. And we have the privilege of resting in knowing that God does all things well. Verse 16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested Him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes which He has commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may be well with you and that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord swore to give your fathers by driving out all your enemies from before you as the Lord had spoken. Let me just interject there. Possess the good land which the Lord swore to give your fathers. If you and I in our humanity and lack of faith ever wrongfully fear what God could and might do to us or to our children, at least remember that He will never fail any of His good promises either. He is good in everything He does we rest in that. Verse 20, when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. He brought us out from there in order to bring us in, to give us the land which He had sworn to our fathers. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good. Always and for our survival as it is today, It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all this commandment before the Lord our God, just as He commanded us. Let me close with this most imploring psalm. Psalm 78, verses 1 to 8. Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Again, let me quickly interject. All of you children in the room, all of you teens, young adults, please know that what we just read is the prayer of our hearts, that you would put your confidence in God and that you would never forget His great works, but rather keep His commandments his word. Put your faith in him. Put your trust in him. Obey him. That is our humble and simple prayer for you. Nothing would give us greater joy than to see you choose for yourselves, you children, to walk in truth, the truth of God's word. But you do have to choose for yourselves. Continuing in verse 8, and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. There's the warning. You could say there are two kinds of parents in the world, couldn't you? Which are you and I? Which are we becoming more of with every day that goes by? My church family, may we grasp the urgency, and the joy of our calling to pass the greatness of God to the next generation. I love the way the psalmist captured this in Psalm 3411 when he said, Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the the first cry of my heart and many here, I'm sure, is, Lord, teach us. We need the fire, the passion. We, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, the adults of this church family are the ones who need to remember first. Our slavery, your power, and our deliverance. Lord, help us to be a people who are faithful to reflect on these things, a people who remember them well so that we might speak them and teach them to our children and their sons and their daughters and that they might pass them to the generations that will follow them. What a high, overwhelming calling. And yet we know that What you call us to, you will equip us for every good work. Adequately prepared, you say. What wonderful words in 2 Timothy 3. Lord, help us to walk from this place overwhelmed with the urgency of this high calling, but let that not be all that overwhelms us. Help us to be overwhelmed by the grace and hope of God in us through Christ Jesus. To think that you not only call us to teach our children the fear of God, but you also do it through us. Thank you, Lord. Help us to love and embrace this calling. Lord, let our children look at us and see the fear of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.